0: Uh, Here to discuss, friend of the show, Anand Menon, Director of the UK in a Changing Europe. Good afternoon to you, Anand. And to you. Deleted Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, um, von der Leyen, did she say anything that surprised you? No, not really. I mean, it's that same
1: mixture of rhetoric that we've heard from the European Commission since this process started. On the one hand, we're very close friends. We're going to remain very close friends. That's always the preface. And then comes the sting, which is, (laughs) leaving will come with cost. Uh, so there's that sort of slightly uh, two-pronged approach. The Commission has always taken, we want to remain close, but on our own terms. And when it comes to trade, the EU has some very clear things that it wants to achieve. And if it doesn't achieve them, it's going to be problematic to sign that deal. I should say one more Go thing on. as well, which is this is about far, far more than trade. I mean, our relationship with the European Union is a broad one that covers all sorts of things, like cooperation over anti-terrorism, police cooperation, defence cooperation, space, and so. Yeah, exactly. So even if we get all get the trade sorted out, and I don't think we'll get all the trade sorted out, we've still got big questions over, for instance, databases. Uh, we have databases that the police use in their anti-terrorism efforts. If we don't get a deal with the European Union, as of midnight on the as of eleven p.m. on the thirty first of January, we. Immediately lose all access to them, so we're effectively blind in the fight against cross-border terrorism.
0: Now, that that's that's quite plausible, but I, I'm trying to glean this idea that priorities. She used the word priorities, so I, I'm thinking: is she prepared? Is Brussels prepared to work? through key areas of concern perhaps for the UK and also for the EU and try and get some kind of interim agreement that would allow fairly smooth trade in certain sectors to continue unharmed or uninhibited by Brexit while a full and comprehensive trade deal is worked up. I can't think of a of another similar situation any nation state has found itself in to compare to. So I just... Well, I, far away.
1: Well, I was going to say two things. Firstly, you're absolutely right. There is no comparable situation because this is the first trade negotiation in history which is solely about making trade harder. Okay, And it's just worth bearing that in mind because every other trade negotiation there has been has been about removing barriers to trade to make trade easier. What we're doing is embarking on a process of making trade harder. Okay, Because we're we're leaving the single market. We're leaving the customs union. So in that sense, it is utterly unique. Uh, The other thing is, yes, absolutely, the European Commission is willing to prioritise some areas. Michel Barnier spoke today, and he outlined a number of areas... He said, first and foremost, uh, our priority is to get a deal on goods. Well, the cynic might say, well, that's no surprise because they enjoy a massive trade surplus with us in goods
0: yeah. uh,
1: and a massive trade deficit in services. And one of the interesting things about this, if you consider the British economy, is that services won't e- weren't even mentioned and services make up 80% of our economy. So there is a massive question mark over what happens to the services sectors, even if they manage to get themselves a deal on goods.
0: So... Assuming that uh, Ursula von der Leyen is right and that it is impossible to get a a comprehensive trade deal signed off by the end of 2020 and assuming that Boris Johnson stands by his word (laughs) and there is no extension, then what do you think is going to happen?
1: Then I think we'll end up with a partial agreement.
0: And, and, And what might that contain? What key areas do you think that would contain?
1: Well, it is very, very hard to say now, because let's just take goods, okay? You could imagine a deal that scraps all quotas on goods, that gets rid of tariffs on goods, and so sort of mitigates the impact of leaving the European Union on people who are exporting yeah. and importing goods. One thing you've got to say immediately about that is, even for that kind of deal, the European Union is going to insist on what they call level playing field arrangements, and that is... That we guarantee that we are going to stick by EU standards on environmental protections, on workers' rights, on things like that. And there's immediately a problem there because of course Boris Johnson's government have made it quite clear that they don't want to align with EU rules. Absolutely. So even on, even on goods alone, it will be problematic, but if we ended up getting some sort of deal, it would ease the pain on manufacturers, for instance. It wouldn't remove the pain altogether, but it would keep trade going better than if we didn't have that deal at all.
0: Does Boris, do you think Boris has got one eye over his own shoulder looking at World Trade Organization rules with a sense of impending dread, or do you think he's got one eye over his shoulder looking at WTO rules thinking (laughs) there's opportunity?
1: Well, To be perfectly honest, I think what we're witnessing, and this in a sense has been true since the referendum itself, is a triumph of politics over economics. That is to say, I don't think Number 10 are sitting there with their bean counters saying oh my God, what does this mean for the for the British economy? I think they're saying the USP of this Prime Minister is that unlike his predecessor, when he says something about Brexit, he means it. So we will leave on time, regardless. of the consequences. We will suffer any hit there is to suffer. We will still have four years, and I think there are those in the Conservative Party who are pretty convinced that they've got nine years, in which to put things right and to govern the country and to deal with any aftershocks. So I think that's the calculation being made. I don't think anyone... I think, you know, ministers have seen the forecasts that have been produced by the Treasury that show if we leave with a minimal trade deal, the impact on the British economy over time will be quite severe. But I don't think that's their primary consideration.
0: Can I... On, on that, score then, Kevin and, and myself, um, we are uh, on totally opposite sides of this particular fence, which is uh, what's going to happen at the next general election. Because Kevin feels that Labour's still going to be out in the wilderness. I... I and, and that it'll be a shoe in for, for Boris... And I'm, I'm just of the view that if the the next few years, when we leave uh, in just a couple of weeks' time, and let's say the, the trade deal is as problematic as it seems, as Leyen says, uh, as you seem to think, and indeed as I think, then then ordinary British people could start feeling the pain of Brexit, the pain that even people like Jacob Rees-Mogg says, you know, the real benefits of Brexit, the full benefits, won't be felt for 50 years. But we're going to have an election within five. And I'm just wondering whether you feel that uh, th- this notion, I, I kind of concur with you, that it, it, it's delivering Brexit regardless of any consequence just delivering on the political promise Mm -hmm. that boys may end up paying a price for that at at the next election
1: well, I mean, the first thing I should say is, I mean, nor of both of you for risking predictions on... <laughs> yeah, good, good point. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I, mean,
1: if you, I mean, if you think about it, the thing that... If, if Boris Johnson gets tripped up, recent or in fact, longer-term history suggests the thing that will trip him up is not something we're thinking about now. So yes. the exchange rate crisis tripped up John Major. You couldn't have predicted no. that happening. You know, you had Iraq with Tony Blair, the financial crisis with Gordon Brown. So quite often it's events. So I wouldn't hazard a guess as to what... What's going to happen even six months ahead because of course the other thing that matters is who is leading the Labour Party against the Conservative Party but I think when it comes to the economic impact of Brexit it is fascinating isn't it I don't think there's any doubt that in aggregate terms if you leave the European Union our economy will end up not growing as quickly as it would have done had we been in, because you are reducing trade with your nearest and closest trading partner. How that plays out, though, isn't straightforward. That is to say, you won't get a cliff-edge effect. I mean, if you want to use a metaphor, the metaphor is probably a slow puncture on your bike. That is to say you know, if you look back ten years down the line, you'll say, hang on a sec, the French and German economies seem to have performed a little bit better than ours, or we don't seem to have grown quite as fast as we were growing in the past. How apparent that is to your average voter, particularly your average voter in an area where, for instance, the government has made a great show of investing in infrastructure, in transport, and so on, is very, very hard to judge. But my suspicion is that your average voter is more swayed by seeing a massive great construction project that the government is funding to help their region than it would be by the fact that GDP is a couple of points off where it should be. So it's not a given.
0: I reckon you're spot on there. Anand Menon, Director of the UK and a Change Europe and always a lovely voice to speak to on Talk Radio.